Hello and welcome to Mortgage Connects by MGIC, bringing you the latest insights from top mortgage professionals around the industry. I'm your host, Stephanie Budnick, and today we'll be connecting with Phil Treadwell, who will talk to us a little bit about the industry over the past 18 months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mortgage Connects. Today, we have Phil Treadwell with us. He is a 17-year veteran of the mortgage industry as a top-producing mortgage banker and independent mortgage broker. He is currently the National Director of Sales Innovation and Strategy for Thrive Mortgage and is the host of Mortgage Marketing Expert Podcast. He was recently named one of the 40 most influential mortgage professionals under 40 by National Mortgage Professional Magazine and top 20 in the Mortgage Professional of 2020 by Yahoo Finance. He's a national speaker and frequent guest on industry podcasts like our own, and he does webinars and social media shows. Welcome, Phil. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, it's it's always interesting. You throw too many mortgage in there. It's like every title or <laughs> subject or whatever uh, throws it in there. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. To that point, can you just give us a little bit of background of what you're doing now and kind of how that plays into the industry so just people have an idea about it? For sure. Yeah. So I've been uh, in the mortgage industry for 17 years. All of that has been directly uh, in origination uh, sales side of the business. So I kind of got thrown in the deep into the pool uh, as an originator. I had uh, four or five days of classroom style training. And uh, then I walked in on the, the last day and uh, my sales manager, general manager at the time had a big box of flyers and said, go talk to realtors and tell them to send you business. So uh, had humble roots where I map quested in between the real estate offices uh, that that does date me probably a little bit. Um, but uh, we map quested between the offices uh, for efficiency and did that for a few years, uh, went to the um, kind of a net branch model where I was introduced to the broker side of the business. Uh, eventually opened up my own company, uh, sold that to a large uh, bank at the time uh, through the financial crisis and and uh, then moved more into to production sales leadership where I've been branch manager, regional manager, all that kind of stuff. Uh, my newest role that I started this year with Thrive is uh, is around sales innovation strategy. And I kind of wear three hats. One is uh, talent attraction. So I head up our, our recruiting team. Um, I do a lot with marketing and technology. So some kind of the MarTech. And then I also manage some branches that we may not have a regional leader carved out. So uh, kind of all the things that I enjoy and am passionate about kind of rolled up into one. So um, definitely always been exposed to the origination and, and uh, uh, loan side of the business, but I'm also passionate about, you know, marketing and, and technology and things like that. Seems like a wide gamut that would fit well with just a diverse group of things. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of that and the origination side and being part of just that wide range of things, there's a lot happening in the industry. A lot has happened over the past year, 18 mm-hmm. months, especially with COVID and other things. What type of industry things are you seeing that are worth taking note uh, to? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that most people uh, jump to is supply. Um, there is a, uh, <laughs> tragic almost lack of supply across the country, which is driving prices higher. Uh, You know, uh, anybody that has property is good because it's driving the prices higher. But whenever you have that lack of supply, 
Um, it makes people's buying power kind of, you know, erodes the dollar, if you will. At the same time, there's so much cash in the system, uh, whether that's, you know, stimulus or entitlements or things that they're kind of putting in into the system uh, economically from a government level. Uh, that's all contributing to the fact that realtors are having a difficult time getting offers accepted. So listing agents are extremely happy because any property they list has a ton of offers. Buyer's agents uh, are a little more stressed because they may show, you know, tons of properties and make offers on a bunch before they actually get one accepted. So from a mortgage perspective, I think it's extremely important that originators as they're partnering, assuming they're partnering with, with realtors and other referral partners, that you're finding creative ways to help them get their offers through, whether that is some type of a, a upfront TBD underwrite before they even have a contract to qualify that borrower so that maybe they can, uh, on that contract, not have to list a financing contingency that's the same as cash offer. That's a, typically a much faster close, which will probably put you higher in the stack of offers. Uh, maybe that's coming up with creative programs uh, for borrowers that that make that process a little more seamless, um, you know, and and trying to work with them and, and help make their job easier, if you will. And then I think the other thing is we all talk about interest rates. You know, interest rates are going higher. Um, we're not going to see near as many refinances as we did in 2020, and I think it's just going to continue to uh, to cycle out. Um, I know that uh, there's been a lot of moves with. Uh, the GSEs, you know, specifically FHFA and, you know, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac for around investment properties and non-unoccupied or second home and, uh, you know, the ability to qualify for those or, you know, down payment. And it seems that everything is tightening a little bit. That's kind of the, the nature of the environment we're in because offers are hard to get accepted. You know, uh, guidelines seem to be tightening. Um, you know, the interest rates are going up. I see a lot of people, I don't want to say panicking or frantic, but they're definitely taking note of 2020 was a breeze in getting business. It was just challenging getting it closed and, and funneling it. Now it's it's even more difficult uh, to, to get deals that are actually going to close and fund. So I think those are some trends or things that are top of mind for people that, uh, you know, are at least topics of conversation in mortgage circles. Sure. That, that makes sense. And I'm thinking of just how busy originators are today and the, the large intake of loans that they have and them closing. Is there any recommendations that you have seen or that are, they're being successful that are allowing them to manage that more appropriately with, with the time that you know, I just constantly hear like we're, they're so busy. They're so mm -hmm. busy. They have so much to do. Um, and not seeing that change because there's just such a high demand and so many things coming in. Do you have any thoughts on that? For sure. I, I think automation is going to be extremely important and automation gets a bad rep because they assume that automation means no personalization. And I think that there's ways to automate tasks that are duplicatable, that don't require a lot of thought. Um, something a little more advanced, like uh, a company building a bot to go out and pull a flood cert and it come back in and you just get notification when that's complete, because that may take, you know, five to 10 minutes each time it's pulled or three to five minutes, you know, from a processor and creating some efficiency there because then whoever's, you know, doing that task can move on to something more. It could also be, I'm seeing a lot of originators that they're working in their CRM, but maybe it doesn't integrate with their 
uh, LOS very well, or maybe the, the, the POS, when someone does an application into the CRM or LOS, like they're trying to track their business, but it's a very, it's a very labor intense process. You can automate that data flow very simply. You know, some companies have their own built-in solutions. Sometimes there's third parties, but whenever people are really busy, you have to ask the question, are they busy or are they productive? And sometimes just being busy doesn't mean you're getting a lot done. It means you're dealing with a lot of tasks. And so, you know, as I, we talk about on my podcast or as I coach originators or, or, or speak or whatever it is, we talk a lot about the three E's, uh, effort, effectiveness, and efficiency. Okay. Efforts, what we do, um, effectiveness is what we're doing. That's actually getting results. And then efficiency is really doubling down on those tasks that actually get results. And you can take that further. If you're time tracking, and you're looking at, hey, here's what I'm doing every half hour throughout my day, then you can kind of do the red light, yellow light, green light method of the red lighters things that you don't need to be doing during productive time. Like you can just cut that out completely. Yellow may be, this is income producing, or this is a task that needs to get done, but it doesn't have to be done by me. This is something that I can hire for or delegate or automate for or something else. And then you can focus on the most efficient tasks, those green light tasks that this is income producing. This is something that I physically need to be doing. And if you can stack your day with those things, you're going to get a lot more done. You're going to be a lot more productive. And, you know, I, this morning was on uh, with a $200 million producer that has a dozen people on her team. And, you know, we, her and, and I, and a couple of people were, were talking about some strategy type things and, we were on for probably an hour this morning and she wasn't frantic. She was like, Oh my gosh, I got to get off here. Cause I'm, I'm just so busy. Now we couldn't have sat there and talked all day, but you should be able to have a system in place and enough team members around you that it's not the end of the world. If you stop and, and think about what's happening. And I guess the, the, the best way to say it is really focusing on working on your business and not in your business. That makes a lot of sense. I know we have a program with, with time is money and talking about efficiencies and all the things that rob you of the, of your time, Absolutely. you know, and taking the time to really say, what, what are these things that I'm doing that I don't need to be doing is really mm-hmm. important. Thinking about efficiencies and relationships. I know that that goes to, you spoke to, you know, referral or real estate agents being mm-hmm. one. How do you make sure that you're maintaining the most effective partners. You know, there's a lot of people that you can partner with that don't offer you the biggest bang for your buck and they're taking up all your time, all your moments. How do you make sure that you're doing that more appropriately? Yeah. I mean, communication's the biggest key. And I know that that may be a very generic response, but in, from the very beginning, as I mentioned, my entire business has been built on referral partner relationships, predominantly with realtors. And those, those black and white flyers that I like to kind of make fun of that, you know, I had all these photocopies um, at the very bottom. One thing that my original mentor made me put at the bottom was my name, my cell phone. And, and then, cause it was a word document underlined, italicized and bold. It said available seven days a week. And he said, I never put 24 hours a day. Cause if you come at one o'clock in the morning, like I'm not going to answer sure. But your, your partners need to understand that you're there to support them and that you're able to answer a phone call at a lot of times. Now you may not answer the phone every single time, but you are available and you'll make some time for them if need be. And so that communication of answering their questions when they need to and supporting them when they need it is extremely important. 
also during the transaction, whether your CRM uh, can send out text messages, emails, video messages to the applicable parties, including your referral partners, uh, that's extremely important. So they feel included and know that the progress is being made. And then uh, this is something that I think is super important. Whenever something happens, this is the mortgage business. Something's going to happen in a file. I mean, not every file is going to be clean. Like there's going to be an issue. Whenever an issue comes up, immediately communicate that. For some reason or another, we have this in our minds that we need to come up with a solution and get it fixed, or at minimum, come up with a solution before we deliver quote unquote bad news. I disagree. And I think if you ask your referral partners and realtors, they would probably disagree as well. Um, because one of my coaches, Tim Brahim, who is a legend in this industry, said the height of trust is delivering bad news because nobody wants to do it. So bad news or, hey, this this particular thing happened or we have a delay or something, they're going to trust you more because it appears you trust them that they're not going to freak out. If they have any experience at all in mortgage and real estate, they're also going to understand this is the industry. Things are going to come up. Something either didn't get disclosed or there's a, there's a, uh, a kink in the process. Then what happens is if you include them, you can even say, here's a couple things I think might be a solution. We're immediately working on that. But I wanted to let you know as soon as I know. Most of them will thank you over the top. Or here's a, here's a better thought. If they're truly a partner, they may be able to help you come up with a solution. Maybe they had another piece of information that's going to help you fix that whole situation. So that ties into that original communication piece. Communicating with your partners the routine stuff, but also the, uh, the important stuff or the stuff that you don't want to tell them. And then lastly, in that, it, it, it should be that partnership where you're communicating boundaries, right? Again, you call me at one o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to answer. But if you called me in the evening, I know you're with clients, there's a good chance I'm going to try to answer if I can. And if not, I'm going to call you back, or I'm going to, you know, send you a text or something. But setting those boundaries and expectations to forge a true partnership, and a potentially unpopular opinion for for originators, you also need to be offering up some value to them outside of the fact that you can close loans fast, and you've got competitive rates, because that's par. Okay, go market yourself, go listen to uh, podcasts on LO Hub with that MGIC has go use the resources, create your own leads and give them a couple of at bats a month. Right. We, we talk, how do we get in front of good referral partners? How do we get their attention? You know what? I can talk to any realtor in any market for the most part. If I say, Hey, I have a pre-approved buyer that needs someone to help them find a house. All of a sudden realtors schedules open wide up. You know I mean? All of a sudden they're, they're ready to talk right. to you. So mm-hmm. yeah, they, exactly. So if you're able to offer them value, especially in the form of leads, as opposed to always walking with your handout. And I, I use you know, mortgage insurance or even traditional hazard insurance or title companies, right? We're the customer that those companies will make calls on or try to partner with. What would you want from them, right? What, what do you want? Of course, you want some service and you want, you know, competitive rates, but you also want value. Are they giving you opportunities to work with realtors? Are they giving you opportunities to work on deals? Because all of the mortgage insurance companies, hazard insurance companies, and title companies that I've worked with have, Hey, I want to make an introduction to this person over here, or I, I, I here's, here's somebody that I think you might be able to work with, or here's some data that can help you with your business. 
lead with value. And then all of a sudden you have a partnership. And so that's, you know, not a small thing. There's, there's a lot of pieces there, but at the end of the day, create uh, relationships with people, set those expectations of what they can depend on from you and what you're looking for from them. And then make it collaborative where you're each adding value and giving each other at bats. And I mean, the relationship should flourish. I, I really like your piece about adding value. I know that that's hard to do in some instances. It's always like the business and, and that's straightforward, but adding that educational piece or that aspect where you're, you're doing something more for them. That's ultimately going to make the process more seamless, Yeah, you know, and improve the experience for both the buyer, the, you know, and, and both people at hand. So that makes a lot of sense. Thinking about what you said about the referral partners and where the industry is and where it's going more like where the refis and our rates are, what do you think the best way to grow your business is going to be this year and coming? I mean, obviously finding creative ways to get purchase business and, you know, excuse me, coming into 2021, um, the three main parts of the purchase market that we're growing we're obviously millennials. They're here in force. They waited a little bit longer to enter homeownership, but that's what, you know, 23 to 25 up to 38 to 40, that group of people is fully into homeownership and purchasing homes, uh, you know, from, from top to bottom. So capturing their attention in a relevant way and letting them uh, find you in not your dad's or your grandpa's ways of doing business. And we're not talking about, you know, running yellow pages, ads and billboards. It's not that there's not some strategic reasons that that works, but that particular generation, most of them either adopted social media very quickly or grew up on social media. They also remember the, the financial crisis extremely well. So understanding they still want an advisor uh, and someone of personal touch that can help them make that decision but they do want a digital experience. They do want to be communicated in a relevant way because that's in every other vertical, how they're conducting business. Another part of that market is Gen Xers who are moving up, maybe some empty nesters on the, the older end of that age range, um, you know, in maybe they're selling a larger home and pivoting to uh, a smaller home with some vacation homes and then obviously the third piece of that is investment properties and second homes because rates are still at historic lows, regardless of whether they're increasing. Now, because of some of the changes that have been made, you know, on the on the conforming conventional side of the business, a lot of that's going to tighten up some. But I think that focusing on those specific segments and really trying to niche down and 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 cultivate those specific types of customers or ones that you identified in your market are going to be very fertile. And for those that have been doing a ton of refi, this is the big question we get asked a lot too, is I did a ton of refi, I need to do more purchase business. Well, then it's the same thing that we talked about with referral partners. They start calling and saying, let me take you to golf or lunch or coffee and tell you how good our service is, or let me, you know, bring bagels to your office and talk at a sales meeting. And I'm not knocking those things. I've done a lot of all of that and, and they do work to a certain degree but there's already 12 other vultures out there that are doing the same thing. So how do you set yourself apart and be different? And something that I can say that is something that we're coaching our team to do right now with the refis that you did last year or this year, or, you know, at the end of 2019 um, or as you're doing them, because there's still refis happening, find out who the uh, realtor was when they originally purchased their home and ask them, Hey, what was something that, um, you really liked about that realtor? What is something that they really went above and beyond something that, that that's special? 
um, they'll remember something and tell you and tell you the name of it in most cases. Well, now what happens is you have two options. One is you kind of have an opening to reach out to that realtor and say, Hey, I just refied, you know, Phil and his wife, Stacy. Um, they uh, said that you were the retail or the, the realtor when they first purchased their, their home. Um, and he just remembered whenever uh, it was at 10 o'clock and you guys were fixing something on a contract. And that just meant a lot that you went above and beyond or whatever. And now you're starting a conversation with someone, something and someone in common, and you're highlighting that you respect their business or another little pivot on that is create a LinkedIn post or a Facebook post and do say the exact same thing. Um, thank you so much, Phil and Stacy Treadwell for, you know, refining with us. Uh, you know, I, I really thought it was neat that you told me about, uh, Stephanie, your realtor and how, what a great job she did here and tag everyone. Well, you're making a warm intro, but you're publicly displaying that this realtor did a really great job when they first sold their home. And it, again, it doesn't have to be exactly like that, but there's lots of creative ways to have conversations with people that you lead with something that's relevant. You lead with something in common. And again, maybe they don't reach out, maybe they don't care, but you need to have something else behind that, that matters, that uh, can help them build their business. That's, you know, starting with value and uh, that you're trying to create a partnership and um, uh, something else that I've, I've been saying a lot lately, cause it was something I learned. I was actually in clubhouse. Um, I was in a podcasting room and people were giving uh, tips on their podcast. And, and uh, I, I've spent a lot of time with other mortgage and real estate podcasters, but not in with people in other verticals. So I was in this room and I went ahead and I said, Hey, I said, I'm just curious. I know in my industry, um, best practices around how to promote and grow audience, but I'd love to just know the other ways people in other verticals or other, you know, industries or, or whatnot are, are promoting and, and their podcast. And the guy that was speaking had worked at Apple podcasts and he was now doing some fictional podcasts and, and stuff. And I, I tell that whole story because his answer was, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about features of here's what, you know, guests I'm having on, or here's what this podcast is about. And if you parallel that to mortgage industry, we talk a lot about service and products and whatever we, we list features when what we really need to be talking about is benefit. Nobody cares about the features. They care about how those features benefit them. You think of a mortgage itself. No one wants a mortgage. No one's like, give me a big mortgage with a big payment. Like I want a mortgage really bad. No, they want <laughs> what the mortgage does for them, right? They, they want the home that's purchased with that mortgage. So it's, it's our job as mortgage professionals and originators to talk, to take the features that we have, the programs that we have, the service that we have, and turn that into benefit for customers, for clients. And those need to be the conversation points. And that's why I think that that refi example is so good is we're not even listing a, a feature of the realtor. We're talking about something that they did that benefited a mutual client. And that's where a seed of a, of a relationship can go. And if you continue to add value in those types of ways and help them build their business, or find out how they're marketing and add to it, the sky's the limit. I really like that idea. I hadn't thought of that. And I just recently refinanced in back in February and I had only bought the home a year ago, just, mm -hmm. you know, where rates are and where things are. And that, that speaks volumes. You know, you don't think about doing that because you don't need the realtor after that. 
Right. So, and that's the problem with most mortgage professionals right now. They see the realtor as a transaction and say, well, I don't need the realtor. And, you know, they're so refi heavy. I, I talked to a realtor on my podcast the other day that said we had a lender who religiously sent us cookies and um, like every month or so we would get a card, we would get, you know, cookies, they would text and just see how we were doing, just follow up, just be there. And she's like, we haven't heard from them for months. And she's like, it's not about the cookies. It's about, did you find a bigger fish? Did, did, are you just so busy with refis that we're not important anymore? Mm-hmm. So I, I want to remind people, it's not about the communication and how you communicate a lot of times or the little things that you do. It's what does the message give when you stop doing it? Or if yeah. you did it differently, like, Hey, we do this big thing, but now we're only going to do this. That's why communication is so important is because if it stops, people assume the worst. That's, that's beast of the nature is what you do is assume the worst. I am one of those people. For sure. Oh, I, I like how you talked about posting on a social platform. Is there one that you think would be the most beneficial for business use, or is it based on whom your target is? I know when you spoke about, you know, where I am, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm on, on one end of the spectrum where I think I'm a lot different than a 23 year old looking for a home, but I'm looking up before I do anything but I do want that connection. So sure. where do you think you can get that, that value? I, I'm, I'm very bullish on Instagram. I think that your key demographic is going to be on Instagram for the most part. Um, it's also the best place to create different types of content. On Instagram, you'll have people that only look at stories. You'll have people that are only scrolling through the feed, or you'll have people that are there for short form video, similar to TikTok through reels. Um, You can also do long form video with IGTV. So it's a lot of other social platform ideas. Instagram has been the one that we're going to rip it off and we're going to do the same thing too. So I think it's one of the best catch-alls that's also relevant to the age audience that the, the most of the home buyers who are getting mortgages are in. Now, Facebook is probably uh, a close second from a consumer-driven standpoint because people are still active on Facebook and uh, especially in real estate and mortgage for some reason. If you talk to any other vertical, uh, any other industry, they're not huge on Facebook really right now because it's aging up so quickly um, and the organic traffic isn't. The reason I push back on Facebook is so many times the people that you end up marketing to are the close friends and family that you already have anyway, right? Those are the people you're connected with. So if you want to use Instagram or Facebook, either one, you have to be strategic about reaching out and engaging with content of the people that you're trying to reach. So if that's realtors, um, go to their pages, make meaningful comments, like their posts, potentially follow them or connect with them, engage in their um, content, because a lot of this isn't about just posting and creating content. Sometimes the most important thing is to go engage with someone else's content. Because if I, if I put a post right now, a certain percentage of the people who follow me will see it. But if I go post on someone's uh, post, or if I go comments rather on someone's post, they're almost always going to see it. And if it's someone that you don't know, a lot of times you go look at their profile. I mean, I do like, who is this person that commented on her? I don't know who that is. So you go look at their profile and then you've like that obligatory, well, I need to like one of their posts because I liked one of mine. What's just (laughs) happened is you've now hacked the algorithm. The algorithm thinks you guys met and now you're friends. And for the next few days, at least that's going to be the first content that they see. 
So sometimes the best way to create those openings isn't by posting and hoping that you attract the right ones. It's also by engaging with their content and letting them know you exist. So I would say Instagram is probably what I focus the most on from a B2C perspective and, and Facebook as well. And then obviously LinkedIn is by far the best for B2B um, and probably where I get the most lift in networking and collaborating with industry professionals. But again, Instagram is, is starting to be that way too. I think these are really insightful tips. I think just by a wide gamut, both with what to expect, what to look for, how to gain some of that traction with partners. Um, so I appreciate all of that insight. This is really helpful. And I hope to two other listeners as well. I have one last question and I'm asking okay. everybody. So okay. what is it that keeps you up at night still? Ooh, um, that's a great question. I think what keeps me up at night um, figuratively, because I sleep really well at night. But the thing that <laughs> thing, thing that stays on my mind is um, missed opportunity and not fully seizing the season that we're in. That's hard to say, seizing the season that we're in or, or capitalizing on, on opportunities. There's you know, I, I consume a lot of uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk content. He talks about regret and when you get to, you know, other seasons of life and looking back and wishing that you had done things differently. Um, I don't have a lot of regrets up till this point. I think that there's that being mindful of not being a certain age and saying, I wish I had just thrown caution to the wind and done that thing. Or I wish I hadn't been so caught up in this over here that I lost sight of that over there. So of, of, of all things that kind of keep me up at night, it's making sure that I'm really prioritizing my time and efforts and relationships, you know, both tangible and intangible um, in the right places. And, and I think I think as long as we keep those things top of mind, we typically make good choices. And even when they're the wrong ones, we still learn something from it. So um, I think that of, of what uh, mental focus I use in, in that particular topic, it's, it's probably around that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for everything. I thank you for having being me. On, and we hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. For all the latest industry insights, subscribe to Mortgage Connects with MGSC on Apple, Stitcher, or Spotify, or check out mortgageconnects.com.